wonderful edition. We are celebrating actually our 30 year anniversary uh, as a podcast. You know, we have had ups, we've had downs, mostly downs, but we're still here. Yeah, it's, it's been a uh, history of downs. <laughs> I don't think that our corporate parents at the Young Turks know even that we still do a podcast. I mean, it is 3 a.m. And they do not send us supplies. They do not send us. We're not on the email list. We get a paycheck. And I don't think. When was the last time you had a pay raise, Kennedy? Uh, I think it was back in like 2038. Some, sometime around then. About 11, 12 years ago. Oh, yeah. But we do it because, yeah. you know, the economy being what it is with President Paul, it's kind of a fucking hellscape. So you take the money you can get. Uh, especially with the climate. I mean, we are on we are on high ground. We are on high ground, and praise God yeah. for that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, and it's been very. It's been a very tough time in the last. I mean, just even just the corporate mergers. I mean, we got bought by the Trillbillies, and well, they, they bought Red Clay. Yeah, I I really the Red Clay they, acquisition really blew us up. It's really lucky that. Like I got to know Rachel Kahn because that was yeah really the they were uh, an incredibly successful podcast and we're so glad to have rid- ridden their coattails. Yeah, I mean Rachel's on at eight, obviously now. Um, weirdly enough, so, she's never actually been on. It's just been all guests. Yeah, up. I'm really hoping she has the she time slot, work. but she just doesn't use it. Yeah, she's got to work. We got to work on that, but hopefully we get to see it one day. Um, you know. We've done this podcast for 30 years now and and I'm start I'm starting to look back on some of those old times and think, you know, with the with the Logan Paul presidency that we're dealing with now, I just kind of miss you know when uh when Donald Trump was president and like and and the economy was good and he was civil, you know? It was yeah. it was he respected civil. the I rule mean, of law i i guess i it's it's been a long long time you know I mean, logan paul has no respect for democracy i think we can all agree that no, not, none at all he's, none at all he's the worst president imaginable uh you know he 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 has set a new standard for indecency that we'll never come back from yeah. and, and um, we, we really we really really can hope we really just have to hope that um joe biden's next campaign is going to bring the Republicans to their senses. And I really them. think that that will happen. That's really my hope. I mean, I've donated thousands of dollars to the Biden campaign. Uh, old Joe just has a connection with the working class in this country. Uh, I mean, gosh, he, came, he is old now. I mean, he's a cyborg. Uh, I mean, he I came real think... close in 32. He came real, real close in 32. It was only a few million votes. Um, I, I really didn't like it when when Logan Paul told the the surviving mutants from, you know, that nuclear disaster in Miami to, quote, eat his dick. I just. Yeah, that was really unnecessary. You know, President fine. Trump, President Trump no. wouldn't have said something like that. Maybe, Never maybe on Twitter. He would say something, like that, but not like to their not to someone's face to make yeah. them. Feel yeah, just, he, he, uh, he, he would never have done that. Like and just like um, President Paul's. Um, presidential TikToks, they're just the most insipid drivel. At least Trump was trying to tweet. His tweets were had some kind of substance to them. Uh, he always tweeted about policy. Like, you didn't always agree with the way he said it, 
and he he was a little bit incoherent sometimes, but he did tweet about policy and you you knew what he cared about. And uh, you know, we're far away from it enough now that we can all like all admit that he was objectively a funny guy. Uh Logan and, Paul, not I mean Paul and the no. economy was much better then than it is now. Helps that there was like a breathable atmosphere. I think right. just having yeah. breathable, we didn't know back great. then that having like you didn't have to like put on the suit and go from place to place or have a gang with you. Like all of that shit is really bad for the economy. We didn't really know that back then. Did you see his presidential TikTok a few a few days ago? Or is this like five hours of him shitting? <laughs> <laughs> I don't like that he named named the shits after Democrats that were running for office. I just think that was just way too much. Yeah, it was really uncivil of him. Totally uncivil. I I tried to watch the AOC live tweet of of the the TikTok stream. It got blocked, obviously. You know, she's got to do like a pirate radio thing now. Well, I mean, her guerrilla resistance is pretty underground these days. Yeah. Unfortunately. But we're all, I mean, <laughs> we're all underground at least some of the day. <laughs> They're really underground. Like, yeah. Yeah. Of course, we, uh, we of course, denounce uh, AOC's uh, so-called guerrilla movement. Uh, we do believe in peaceful resistance here. Uh, we we of did course, of send, we did send those petitions to the Paul administration. Yes. Um, Change.org, guys. Go to change.org slash tell Logan Paul to not build another wall. He's trying to build a fifth wall on the Mexican border. Yeah. That really, that really doesn't make sense. I mean, now you're cutting out Nevada. You're cutting out what? Idaho. I mean, like Los Angeles is going to be hit next. Los Angeles. Yeah. Not, they're not going to be able to reach. Land, it doesn't mean that we should block them out. In fact, really. I mean, we should be trying to go over there. I feel like the wall is keeping us in. You know, I'd Donald Trump just wanted one sensible wall, not five walls. Five yeah. walls. Like we're going to have now. Too much. You know? it's, it's, it's ridiculous. It's completely yeah. and insane. And then Trump, you remember how Trump handled his impeachment inquiry? Like, he was sure he was obstructive. So and he, 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 like, he might have used a few legal tactics designed to obfuscate it but at, at least he it's not like it's, it's not like president president paul paul is just he breaks into congress and he shoots anyone that votes for the impeachment inquiry and nobody stops him like trump dealt with with it through the system yeah president paul's repeated just like climbing on on the desk of of senators he doesn't like and just shitting on the bills that they're writing as they're writing them, as they're writing them, yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. let the discourse play out. I mean, just disgusting. <laughs> it's just disgusting. Um, I also don't like the idea of like sucker punching handicapped activists and screaming "World Star." World Star doesn't even exist anymore. I just feel like it's a weird nostalgia. I don't know if his brain is all there.
everybody, welcome to Not Safe for Walks. Uh, this is Brandon Buchanan. I'm Kennedy Cooper. Clay Rose. You would think that the whole world would slow down for this uh, Trump impeachment shit. Turns out, no. Uh, turns out everybody else is fucking up on their own at full speed. Nobody's taking the day off. Uh, I would say the very most important thing that's happening in our world now, uh, more than uh, Logan Paul's weird ascendancy to the top of mainstream political <laughs> celebrity, uh, more more than the impending climate thing. I mean, that's probably going to be like 15 years from now. It's fine. Uh, Ellen DeGeneres had a hot dog with George W. Bush, um, and the world has come to an end. He was like, well, you know, you you meet somebody and you get to know them and you have friendships that exist outside of politics. And that's normal. That's for normal people. That's not for the the people that are doing the politics. Like if I if you know somebody, I mean, you guys are you've got school, you've got jobs. If you know somebody at your job that's, you know, right wing or whatever, you've got to work with them because that's your job. So you've got to, I mean, I, I had a, a Lyft driver that was a black Republican today and he was just like, so what's your experience with black Republicans? How do, how well do you know them? And, you know, trying to quote unquote, open my mind about conservatism. Uh, and, you know, I talked to, I mean, I talked to him because I mean, we're sitting here and we're going from one place to another. I don't have to have beef with everybody I run into. However, if John, you had been my Uber driver, I would not have been like, Hey, John, you, uh, it's cool that you tortured those people, uh, and right. like help make that shit, create a legal framework that mm. torture going like it. Once you get to the actual perpetrators and not like day to day shitheads that are like you in terms of their class position, uh, no, you're you're being a kind of a collaborator. I don't know what you want to say, but you to use the overdone like MSNBC term, you're normalizing. You're normalizing this. Because the people that are doing this shit yeah. now know for a fact, like they know for a fact that they're going to be like in polite company eight years from now. So get the bag right now and fucking destroy the world right now. There has to be some kind of material consequence to entire list of fuckery. I can't even start pointing out things with with Bush. Yeah, I, I think essentially what this boils down to is like there's a club and you're not in it. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, like all of the fucking rich people, there's not there's there's only so many rich people. So they got to bump shoulders at some point when they're in there, when they're drinking like imported 19 or imported 1783 French champagne or whatever the fuck. So they're all going to rub shoulders with each other. And like they're so far abstracted from any consequence of politics, either like right or left, the, you know, they're, they're going to be friends with these people. Like, why not? They, they, they haven't, they have never experienced like fucking, you think Ellen DeGeneres knows waterboarding or any of the other shit? I, I mean, of course, on a, of course, a conceptual level that she knows, but I mean, like knows intimately. Yeah, of course not. Like, no, she, she, her, her her lifestyle isn't changed if it's a left if it's like a left wing president or right wing president it doesn't matter so she's gonna, she's going to hobnob with everybody it's a club and you're not in it let me all right let me ask you this cuz i do feel like ellen degeneres is not material con materially connected to the atrocities in iraq is like yeah. by on the left that is a cold take so 
obviously there are people in Congress that have to work with uh, just the worst people right now. Uh, to what degree should a person who is an elected representative, like to what degree is it their job to hang out and go drinking with the, the worst Republicans? I mean, first off, like the, you know, I, I know this is kind of a sidebar, but like just Ellen, first off, Ellen DeGeneres isn't, isn't an elected politician. No, I know. I'm just saying, let's, let's throw Ellen, Ellen out. She's bad. So I just want to know how lo- how far this line of thinking for you both of you extends. I think we've reached the point where, uh, like there, I saw something about there's a candidate running, uh, for Congress somewhere. I can't even think of where, but like Missouri or some place like that, um, where people get away with this sort of thing. Who is just like completely openly racist and like you know what has been pictured in campaign photos wearing like motorcycle jackets with confederate flags and and racist slogans on them and stuff and and she's just running for congress as like a legitimate gop candidate like they haven't denounced her or anything and like she even seems like she might be the one for that district like uh the gop at this point they're doing things that are bad enough that like yeah i don't know how i would feel about you know aoc just kicking it on the regular with some of these republican dudes or something like that like if news like that came out i mean there's stuff there's definitely in my mind a line to be drawn between like work functions like i i don't know talking talking to talking to people about talking to like dipshit Republicans about bills and policy and such and like being friends with them and like getting drinks every, every night at like some right. DC bar or something like there's, there's a line well, to be drawn and I don't know enough about the daily lives of senators and congressmen. I don't, I, I don't know. Brandon, you kind of already touched on like, like mm, I, I love to not, not know shit. So what I see is kind of like the answer here, which is you were like, you know, sometimes you work with a dude um, who is a Republican or whatever. And like, you can't just like dunk on him all day. Like you have to just like chill and like get along, you know? <laughs> um, and uh you know, if you really do need a dunking caucus, I guess that's I guess that's why. But we just need just vicious dunks all day. Um, and so if you know, when uh, AOC or Ilhan Omar or any of these like kind of highly progressive, somewhat controversial uh, Democrats, you know, they go into Congress and they have to, you know, ha- take a meeting with Nancy Pelosi sometimes or take a meeting with Mitch McConnell sometimes or any of these things that might seem a little like to some people like, well, are they being bad? It's like, well, no, they're just doing their job at that point. And it's like you said, you know, sometimes you just work with the person, but that person that you work with when you work with, you know, Mr. Joe Republican at work, uh, you don't invite him to your house. Unless you've already decided that, like, his his worldview and mentality about politics is on some level acceptable. And that's where I stand with all of this and, like, with the Ellen thing is, like, she's she's saying that, like, 
there's a certain amount of acceptability to George Bush and his character. I agree. So Kennedy, when you're uh, in Congress and, and you know, uh, the house majority whip Sam, you know, Fitzgerald from Georgia is in there in the room with you. And he says, you got to come out here and do uh, uh, some golf with H Rutherford Beauregard, because uh, that's where things get done out here on the golf course. You tell that guy to eat a dick or what? Yeah. Tell him to shove it. Cool. I like, love it. Honestly. Love it. Yeah. Like it's just, we're, I, I don't, I don't, I don't, you know, we've talked about this before and I just don't see any value to compromise in politics in the situation that we're in yeah. right now and the types of compromise that we're talking about right now. Cause we're not talking about compromising like, Oh, should we paint the state department buildings a different color or something where like, you know, you can afford to like give ground on what you want. At, at this point, uh, it's like, Hey, uh, Hey, we should stop. Uh, we should stop locking up kids at the border. And then the Republicans are like, we should lock up 400 more kids at the border. And then like the house centrist caucus comes out. We've brokered a compromise. We'll only lock up 200 more kids. Like it's still and then by the time the bill goes through, it goes through. And then Trump is like, okay, 300 kids. Okay. 400 kids. Mm -hmm. Like it doesn't like, and then you look fucking stupid for even being involved with that process. But that is, I mean, being, being just screwed over by the process of bureaucracy and it's, universal it happens everywhere it happens internationally it happens nationally it happens on the state level um these systems are not designed to produce results that are to the advantage of regular people a lot of what we're talking about right now has to do with like this sort of civility or not kind of stuff where that gets us and where compromise gets us and do these things really get us anywhere and like this impeachment inquiry like it's becoming increasingly clear with the obstructive behavior of donald trump and the department of justice um that uh like it's gonna take dragging all this information out kicking and screaming and you can't do that half-assed it's often cited, but uh, support for Nixon's impeachment at the beginning of the proceedings was like 23%. Yeah, it was much lower than the support, which is funny because I've seen so many articles like, is support for Trump's impeachment really high enough from like centrist sources? Uh, did, did, and that it's like, fucking David Brooks yo. article, like David Brooks conversation with an imagined flyover voter. And like, he yes. Like he 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 didn't he didn't even talk to anyone. He just like made up a, sh a conversation in his fucking head about why impeachment is dangerous and is going to alienate the 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 middle voters. Like, come on. And that's the thing is these people are made up that are always being cited in this stuff. You know, the real Trump voters are fascists. Like they're not in the middle about anything. They're not. Right. They were alienated before Trump got elected, and they're going to stay alienated. Like, uh, like there is a Trump, like we talked about this last episode, but there is a Trump core that is largely monolithic. 
And as uh, as Marianne would say, they hate with conviction. Mm-hmm. They hate with strong conviction. Yep. God, <laughs> um, we haven't said that name in too they're long. They're not going anywhere. By we, need, we need some of that. We need some Marianne energy. Shit, shit's been too bad. People say, you know, oh, I wish that the parties would realign and uh, the Democrats would become the right-wing party and the left-wing party would be the left of Democrats. I always go like, okay, well, who would the fucking evil people vote for? Because that's a big chunk of the country. Like, <laughs> yeah. Maybe they're not personally evil to like their families or whatever. Um, but, you know, the actual like, outcome of their preferred policies uh, are fucking state-delivered evil to people. <laughs> like, like um, yeah, there, there, is, there is somewhat of a difference between believing in uh, systemic violence and individual violence. And like the further right you get, the more you start believing in individual violence as well as state violence. But like violence is violence is violence. And everybody that everybody that voted for Trump endorsed the systemic violence that he has brought forth. Everyone who's voted for any Republican since Eisenhower <laughs> has yeah. made a vote for, for systemic violence. Yeah, and just in case, you know, anyone listening didn't entirely get the point of our opening bit, Bush was also a huge fuck. Bush fucking blew. Like, holy shit. Way worse than Trump, by the way. Way worse. Yeah. Like the we we should do we should do a we should do a retrospective about just the craziness of the Bush era. Like Dick Cheney shot someone in the face. And that guy apologized <laughs> to, Dick, to Dick Cheney, the guy that got shot. I remember that. Was I know that those are goals for you. I know you're acting outraged, but you would just feel. That's a, that's a life goal. Yeah. 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 Everybody listening to this podcast nodding along, too. One, like, one, yeah. of, these po- one of these podcast subscribers, come meet us so we can shoot you in the face. And you can apologize. Yeah, uh, and, and then apologize <laughs> to us. From the pod. I'm sorry. Here's five dollars for the Patreon. Yeah, that's Patreon.com/slash Not Safe. By the way, and, and, oh, and if there's if there's any uh, right wing grifters combing through our archives trying to assemble like some kind of fucking shit master master file of the dumb things we said, please, viewers, donate us money so we may shoot you in the face. We want this as leftists. Of course, we yes. all do. This is the future the left wants. Absolutely. Especially if you're cis. Yes, we want we want to shoot cis men in the face. I didn't know about this part of the platform. Oh, uh, Brandon. uh... Hey, Brandon, you want to look at this cool umbrella I got? I love umbrellas. What color is it? (laughs) All right, getting back on (laughs) track a little bit. The point point that I was making by, by bringing Bush back up is that these Trump people, like, they didn't come out of nowhere. And a lot of them supported Bush and were like, man, if only Bush was just a little bit more fucked up. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> like, that's how we got here today, <laughs> to some extent. <laughs> With Trump, you know, thankfully on the verge of impeachment. Bush should have been impeached for something. Jesus Christ. I don't know what 
what failed to motivate anyone to just do anything during the entire Bush era. I don't mean anyone like everyone. Obviously, there are people doing stuff, but I mean anyone in government. Like, yeah. everyone in government was just sitting back during the Bush era. Like, uh, Bernie. I'll give Bernie the credit. He was like, hey, what the fuck's happening? But everybody else around him was just like, what do you mean, crazy Bernard? Shut your mouth. Like, <laughs> just everyone in the oh. Bush years was fucking insane. Really fucking insane. It was the worst time to be alive. We can't let this happen. Like, just continue to happen. Because the thing is, is that, like, everyone's upset about ice now. But, like, Bush created ice. It's still around now. Everyone likes to kind of, like, talk about how Trump abuses ice. But there's still a lot of people who don't think that ice should be gotten rid of. And, like, how much worse does this have to get at this point? Like, ice was formed less than 20 years ago like all of like fucking homeland security is a modern invention but it's been sublimated into the national like governmental consciousness and it's like why, why would you ever get rid of that why would you ever get rid of ice and cbp and homeland like <sighs> also just we have to have standards for our politicians y'all like i feel like there's this mentality of the lesser of two evils-ism that has just gone way too far. Um, yes, yeah, sometimes you have to choose between two bad choices and one of them's not as bad. Like, that's real life stuff. Yeah, okay? But what if Mitt Romney came out tomorrow and was like, because of how Trump has disgraced the party, I'm going to run as a Democrat. And then he got the nomination. Should we still just vote blue no matter who? Like, at what point does this shit just become stupid? Like, a point before the time we're at now, honestly. Yeah, like. I, I mean, to quote, the, uh, to quote the famous political philosopher, Killer Mike, choose the lesser yes. of the evil people and the devil's still gonna win. Yep. The devil Fucking... wins a lot. Yeah, yeah. That's our episode title. <laughs> the devil wins a lot. Speaking of the devil winning... Yeah, obviously, there was some very distressing news this week for anyone who's on the political left, because uh, one of the world's possibly, definitely, in my opinion, most important political movements that is quite fragile has now become a little bit more fragile thanks to the Orange Man. And last in our last episode, we asked, we did a quick survey around, uh, is the Orange Man bad? Um, and I think uh, I think that the the results are in after this week. Orange Man is very very bad. Mm -hmm. And as so we bad. talked about earlier, Bush Bushman bad too. Bushmen bad. Yes, yes. And and oh. honestly, it's probably too big even for this episode. But we could get into how Bush even relates to the Syria situation. So Bush anyway, senior, absolutely, yeah. yeah. Both of them. Both, both of them. them. Yeah. Both of them. Yeah. Uh, Anyway, um, so uh, Syria, uh, there's an incredible people's movement um, primarily based out of the uh, cultural regional group that is the Kurdish people. The Rojava, the YPG, it's, uh, it's this uh, incredible people's movement in Syria that is pretty arguably the most democratic and equitable system pretty much anywhere in the middle east and one of the most democratic and equitable systems ever devised in the world that is currently in existence 
And so to see this threatened by the utter foolishness of Donald Trump was uh, not the best news that we've had in the last decade. Yeah. I mean, the, the Trump, obviously, well, first of all, I don't think he he has isolationist instincts anyway. I think we all agree to that. Um, he doesn't like to involve himself in anything that he's not directly getting like some cash for. Uh, maybe if there was like a Trump Tower or Java, he would care more. But uh, yeah, I think that we can all agree that this was kind of inevitable. Part of the problem is that the Kurds are just in geopolitically one of the worst places in the world to, in order to just have national sovereignty because obviously Turkey has access to the, to the, to the water and they're kind of our only ally that has that access. And they've become kind of like a critical go through and have been for many years. Um, and for that reason, we've given Turkey way, way more leeway than they actually mm -hmm. should based on their, a record of like imprisoning political opponents and assaulting cities and just taking people who are in office and like snatching them up or yeah uh, cer certain Turkish citizens who are abroad like sending people after them like like here's, a, here's wild a funny shit. story so um I think yeah. it was I think it was last year that there was a the mayoral election for Istanbul anyways yeah. so the Erdogan's ruling party had held that had held the mayorship, uh, had held the mayorship for a while, and it was like somewhat of a lynch, uh, like a, a crown jewel of their rulership. Uh, but then the election results came out, and by like one or two percent, the the leading left wing party took the mayorship, and immediately before the new mayor was able to take office, the government was like, "Oh no, this was full of irregularities. We're doing the election again. We're not going to have this happen again." And it was blatantly clear that they wanted to redo the election because their guy didn't get in. And you want to know the funny part? When they held the redo election, the guy won again by an even larger margin. So you can't even <laughs> fuck up rigging an election properly. Amazing. Yeah. Turkey is is a very questionable uh, political environment. Ally and, with quotes. Yeah. Multiple uh, sets of uh, quotes, first of three quotes on each side. Um, and I guess part of it is we had this desperation to defeat ISIS. It was um, in our news all the time, whatever their latest barbarity was. And one of the problems with like being an empire and you're halfway across the world, it's very hard to project force that far away. I mean, even the United States can't project efficiently force prolonged halfway across the world just as a matter of course um especially if there's not political will to like send dead bodies home so the kurds were one of the few groups that were there that were like yeah we'll go and shoot isis uh it's just that that situation created such a tension between the united states and turkey and I mean, obviously, like that state of affairs could not remain forever. So you had Turkey and I would say Russia on one side or the other. And, you know. Yeah, I mean, Turkey regards the PKK or Turkey regards the.
Kurdish militia that operates in Turkey as terrorist groups. And they have their ideological uh, leader, uh, Abdullah Okalan, locked up in a prison island somewhere in the Bosphorus. But yeah, like the, the Turks have been wanting to do this for a while. And, uh, you know, the, the, the U.S. kind of helped create this situation because previously they had uh, sort of nudged the Kurds towards dismantling some of their defenses uh, in order to do conduct joint like defense patrols with them in the U.S. And the, the U.S. did sort of direct the Kurds to dismantle their defenses to better coordinate. And this came with the assumption that the U.S. were going to stay around and not let the Kurds do what, the, or not let the Turks do what they were obviously going to do and wanted to do. Right. And so it's not just well, like, uh, it's not just like the basic problem that arises in any of these imperial long-term engagements where um, you have, if you stay, then you create um, if you stay, it's a constant drain of men and material and you can't really complete your mission. And if you leave, it's a power vacuum. And it's not like in, like in Afghanistan, it's not just that it's like the U S actively exacerbated things that will lead to this state of affairs. Like there could have been a better exit from, there could have been a much better exit from Syria than this. And it sucks. Well, I will say one interesting thing is we may not actually be exiting Syria. Uh, I was reading today that although Trump has issued this order, um, you know, he's he's lost a lot of support within and outside the government as well. It appears that nobody's actually acting on the order yet. They're kind of waiting to see what's happening. But the military, the U.S. military uh, forces that are on the ground in Syria working with the YPG and other groups there. Uh, have not moved yet, apparently, or even started to. So it's still unclear if this is actually going to happen, but the point of this is still that it's 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 very bad for Trump to be threatening such a fragile and important thing. And, and the way that he did it, like Leia was kind of getting at, you know, so um, you can't just have this border tension forever between the... Kurdish groups and Turkey. And so this whole like de-escalation of the border, it required both sides to participate. And basically Erdogan, you know, just sat down with Trump and said, Hey, why don't you just let me do whatever the fuck I want instead? And Trump was like, yeah, okay. And that's it. Like that's, he just threw out Turkey's entire half of this de-escalation deal in just like a, a conversation basically. And so even if um, unfor the unfortunate effect is that even if our, some people within our own government decided to defy him and like the military didn't pull out or something like that, um, Turkey now feels like, well, the U S said it was okay. And we've seen that kind of, I mean, that kind of those cities just getting ransacked and handed over like, being colonized or whatever um and i have a feeling that if that's allowed to continue that will be allowed to continue do any of you feel like that's how does this intersect with imperialism like do you think it's just a good idea for us to pull out of those areas in the long run um 
is it better for, I don't know, the world if we are just not involved with it in any way and it plays out like however it plays out? Uh, I, I mean, I... And if so, how do you morally, do you just say, sure, this is a contradiction, but I have this philosophical goal of what I want I, I, I mean, like, ideally... I mean, ideally, if we're working within the framework of nation states exist, like the U.S. shouldn't have any uh, shouldn't have any kind of foreign entanglements, and we should be closing these bases abroad and returning the soldiers and demobilizing. Blah, blah, blah. But the problem is these situations where we have U.S. soldiers there exist, and there will be adverse effects if we just yank them out right now without doing anything else. So we need to deal with that. And secondly, like I think I, I'm I'm I don't think that like the US should just be a strong like like entirely isolationist, like we let the whole world play out. Like not like we're we're some kind of alien observer. Like we should be interacting with the the diplomatic community in constructive ways through the UN and that sort of thing. Uh, we shouldn't be engaging in imperialist warfare. More generally, we shouldn't be in only engage in sort of military commitments when it's been kind of approved by the UN and there's a clear entrance and exit strategy. We're not going to get bogged down by long-term peacekeeping operations. So generally, it should be much more international and much more measured like like a, a a an anarchist group dealing with street crime almost <laughs> it's like your vision for foreign policy it's like listen we just round up everybody and we go to their house They're like hey stop doing that we're gonna fucking break your legs and you leave um, but i mean yeah like i said this is just me working within the framework of like there are nations I, and we have to deal with nations. that in fact, I would say not only are there nations, but we live, we do live in a society. That's it was it was confirmed by the release of the Joker movie. Spoilers. Yeah. Spoiler alert. Yeah. I, I would agree with Leia overall on like a lot of basically like too much just military hardware around the world. It's completely excessive. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, even just the maintenance of it. Is, is a big drain on the economy and things like that. Like, we don't need military bases absolutely everywhere. If we had just a very small handful of international bases, it would be enough for us to use forever for, like, governmental transport and things like that. Um, mm -hmm. You know, we don't need... I don't even know how many we have, but like I say, just, a, you know, a, a half dozen or less, probably, international bases would be enough to have or maybe a little more than that, but the point is just the bare minimum to have, you know, some like international transport networks that cover some important areas. And like, that's all we really need. We don't, it's so excessive. But on the other hand, um, I do think it's complicated in some of these situations, especially like Syria is a very complex situation um, because we were kind of responding to a number of kind of critical threats by sending forces there. And we haven't just like sent a huge military force that's like doing its thing. Like we've had a fairly small force there. And although I, I think that there's a lot to criticize about our actions in Syria 
as a nation. Um, I do think that like, I don't think that it's where we're necessarily in a realistic position as a planet to not have these kinds of peacekeeping forces come in and help with certain kinds of things. Uh, and there's even like, there's weird things that our military forces do sometimes in these situations that we don't really think of, um, such as like uh, going to countries that have like very little infrastructure and helping them like disarm military equipment that they don't like Absolutely. want anymore. Mm. Right. Um, Cause even that they may not know how to do it, like how to get rid of all the landmines or something like that after like a conflict. And so like, Basically, I, I don't think that complete global peace is going to be achieved within like the next 10 years or anything like that. Like, well, I yeah. do think it's a possibility yeah. Yeah. It's, it's gonna to be happen someday, but, but it's going to be a process and there's going to be conflicts. And I think that there is a certain kind of responsibility for people who have the kind of like the ability to come in and be observers and help and like, do things like that, do that. But yeah, it's, it's, it's really sticky. And, and what we're doing right now is not an idyllic version of that, obviously. <laughs> uh, but I just don't see necessarily a, like a, a situation where we just have no international military anywhere. Mm. I don't know. Like not within the next like 10 to 20 years, not with how, how many things are going on still in this world. So anyway... Uh, I don't think that there's a lot more to say beyond what we've already said. I think that, you know, this is just a very complicated situation. We've already gone on for some time about it. We could do, you could probably do a whole podcast just dedicated to a subject like Syria or a subject like the Bush presidency. And so we're just doing our best here and we have to stop somewhere. And this is where we're stopping today. But before <laughs> we go. That sounds right. Listen, I, I haven't heard them in a very long time. It's been a very long time, but yes. I think I hear the spirits calling. I, I, I think uh, it's time. I hear them Indeed. as well, which means it is time for us to visualize, not just to just drop off suddenly, but to take a moment and visualize something good here. And I think today it's very important that we visualize some kind of peace coming to Syria in a way that hopefully involves an abundance of human rights and not the opposite, not a peace that's just sort of a restless peace through authoritarianism, but a real peace that comes from everybody just kind of getting what they want politically in the region. I think if we could all just visualize yeah. that as a group. Got some very ambitious uh, 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 thought exercises. I love it. Hey, we're visualizing Syria in a golden egg. Whoa! Oh. Okay. Wow. This is big. That's true. Is that great. is what we're doing. We're literally having a big Marianne moment right now. It is bigger than ever before. Take that. Uh, All right. So, anyways, we have been faithfully not safe for walks. Leia Rose for Brandon Buchanan and Kennedy Cooper. See ya. Bye bye.